Yes, God is on the move today. Amen. He's building his kingdom throughout our world. Building his kingdom. You know, uh, you aren't going to find on the front uh, page news what God's doing around the world. In places like Burkina Faso or Senegal, West Africa, where I've had, the, my wife Karen and I have had the privilege to serve. But, but I want to assure you that God is a way maker. I want you to catch that phrase this morning. God is a way maker. He's, uh, throughout history, he is making a way of salvation in this fallen world. Do you, do you agree with me this morning? Yeah. God is uh, making a way of salvation for the nations, for the peoples of this world. And the astounding thing is that he invites you and I <laughs> to take part in that, to have a part in what God is doing around the world, building that way of salvation. You know, he invites you and I to join him in his kingdom work, uh, like that guy John, John the Baptist. You know, he was a way maker in his day, preparing the way for the earthly ministry of his cousin, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, John was a pretty rough character. Probably today, he, uh, you might just think of him as a homeless person, you know, wearing the locust skin and eating what he could find. Or not the locust skin, the, the uh, <laughs> whatever it was, you know, hair shirt or whatever. He was a pretty rough guy, but he was out in the wilderness there, that voice in the wilderness, preparing the way for the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus. All four gospel accounts talk about John the Baptist, and uh, this morning I want to read from Luke chapter 3, uh, verses uh, uh, 4 through 6, and it's that prophetic uh, statement in Isaiah uh, about 40, about John the Baptist and his ministry. It says, A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. Voice of one calling in the desert or calling in the wilderness. Now, um, we have a connect there with uh, some folks that you know well, uh, Al and Carol Clayson. Uh, our daughter Rachel and uh, Matt, uh, Al and Carol's oldest son, have served now about 15 years in Jordan there in the Mideast. Uh, four of our granddaughters are there. But uh, one of our first visits to Jordan, Matt and Rachel, uh, said, hey, you want to go down and see where John the Baptist had his ministry uh, down by the Jordan River? And so we literally went down about 3,000 feet down near the Dead Sea there, uh, near that uh, ancient city of Jericho. And there was a place there, and this is on the Jordan side of the river, not on the Israel side. And uh, they had a place there to commemorate his, uh, his ministry. I want to tell you, it was a wilderness. It was a desert place, almost uninhabitable. And that's where John had his ministry. And it's interesting, people left the cities and the towns, they went out to him <laughs> as they repented. He said, repent, be baptized. He was preparing the way for the Lord, a voice crying in the wilderness. And you look at our world around us today and you say, boy, I, you know, you don't want to read the, 
the newspaper or turn on the news anymore because our world is a wilderness today. It's in a mess. How many times, and you've you had that mass shootings uh, right here in your city, and just recently, even this week again, a workplace or a school or a mall or a, a movie theater, wherever, you know, where, where are we safe anymore? We look at our world around us, and uh, uh, internationally, even here in the States, uh, terrorist threats, uh, terrorist attacks, even that nation of Burkina Faso, where a very peaceful nation, a very peaceful place where we never felt fear. In most recent years, there have been some terrorist groups that have come from outside that nation are attacking on the borders, police stations, uh, military outposts, stirring up unrest in uh, that uh, very peaceful nation of Burkina. Geopolitical upheaval, corruption in politics and business. Families disintegrating and you know, as you, <laughs> it's almost don't want to turn on the news anymore to see what's happening, but we recognize that and we could have, one reaction could be that, well, we just need to circle the wagons like they did out in the Old West, circle the wagons and, and community and, and being in fellowship, Christian fellowship is an, an important part of our lives. We need that, but yet God is calling us to engage our world, to move outside the walls of this church to engage the world where he's placed us, to be waymakers with him, our great way-making God. Becoming waymakers like John, preparing the way of the Lord. John became that voice in his day, obedient to God's call. A voice calling in the wilderness, uh, I think this morning that spiritual desert, that nation of Senegal, West Africa, right on the uh, western coast of the African continent, a country 94% Muslim and faith. Spiritual desert, a voice calling in the wilderness. And I think of the voice of a man by the name of Malik, Malik Fall. Malik was born into an influential Muslim family uh, near the northern city of St. Louis, Senegal. Uh, he was uh, born into the uh, Wolof uh, tribe, the majority tribal group there in that nation of Senegal. But as a young boy, Malik uh, began to have a, every night, he would have a nightmare. And in that uh, dream, he would dream of himself uh, uh, dying. And so that led to a, a burning question in his heart and in his life of what happens to us after we die. And so one day as a young boy, he went to his father and asked, what does our religion teach us about what happens to us after we die? And his father said, well, we, we cannot know that uh, as, as God wills, inshallah, as God wills. Not satisfied with that response, this young boy had the courage to go to his religious teacher, the local imam, and pose this question. What, ha what, ha what does our religion teach about what happens to us after we die? And the imam threw up his hand and he said, that's almost blasphemous. He says, we cannot question God. So for years, he continued to have that nightmare. And for years, that burning question was in his heart. Continued on in school, and during his uh, high school years, he met some uh, of his classmates who were uh, uh, Catholic uh, 
uh, uh, believers uh, from the local Catholic church. And, and at Easter time, they were, they were talking about, and he said, what's this Easter celebration all about? And they said, what's well, when to celebrate when Jesus came back to life? And, and he thought, well, maybe there's something in this. Maybe they have the answer to my, my question. And so he went to, uh, he decided one Saturday morning that he would go to the local Catholic mission in his town and he would ask the priest there, uh, pose his question. And so he went that Saturday morning. The priest was not there. The nun said, come back this afternoon. On his way back home, walking down a street where he'd walked literally hundreds of, of times, a, a, a street where his high school was located, this day in particular, as he was walking along, his eyes was drawn to a sign over a doorway, and the sign said, welcome, free entry. Now, he had never been in this, uh, uh, walked through that doorway, but his eyes were drawn to that door. He just felt compelled, and as he walked through that doorway, he stepped into a, a Christian bookstore and reading room run by an, a local evangelical mission. And he thought, maybe I can ask them my question. And he conversed with the missionary and the other believers that were there. And, and over the next few months, he found the answer to his uh, burning question in the person of Jesus Christ, who said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he came to faith in Jesus Christ and decided to become his follower. As a young man, not thinking of the consequences, he went to his father and he said to him, Father, I found the answer to that question in my life. The, 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 it's in Jesus, who, who is the resurrection and the life. He's the one that can give us a hope of eternal life. Father, horrified, didn't know what to do. He, he said, you haven't become a follower of that Jesus, have you? And my dad said, yes, I, I have. And I have found such peace and joy in my life. I found the answer to that question. What happens to us after we die? Father, not knowing what to do, went to the local religious uh, teacher, the imam, and he, and he said, what should I do about Malik? I think he's become a, a follower of that false religion. The imam said, well, you know, he's just a young fella. Just give him some time. And that gave the time to, for Malik to become grounded in his faith as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. But his father saw that he persisted in, in worshiping with the local believers and, and uh, studying the word of God. He said, we need to have a family council. And so he called together all of Malik's brothers and all of his uncles, and they held a family council. And then they uh, asked Malik to come. And there was a chair right in the middle of the this, this circle of his brothers, older brothers and, and uh, uh, family elders. And, and, and they asked him, is it true that you become a follower of this Jesus? And he had the courage to say yes. And he explained how for many years he'd had that nightmare and wondered had that question in his heart of what happens to us after we die and how he'd found that answer in the person of Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior. He says one maternal uncle was so furious with him. He says, don't you realize what you've done to, to be a wolf is to be Muslim. You've brought shame upon our family name. And sometimes it's hard for us to, here to understand the, the, the depth of that and the intensity of that, that their identity is so tied up in, in a, uh, not only being a wolf, but also being a Muslim. Because the wolf people were proud of their heritage, that they were the ones who hundreds of years ago were one of the first tribal groups south of the Sahara Desert to embrace uh, the religion of Islam. As that religion spread from North Africa down into Sub-Saharan uh, Africa, proud of their heritage. The next day as Malik came home from school, he found that all of his belongings, his clothes and books had been gathered up and thrown into the street 
as a public declaration that they was, he was no longer considered to be their son. As he gathered up his belongings, he heard his mother weeping in the courtyard, yet knowing he could not go in and comfort her. He had a place to live. He went to a local missionary family who took him in and, and helped him over the next few years. And during his university years, he met a young woman by the name of Fay Luin. And um, she also had a similar testimony as uh, she had come to faith from a Muslim family. But together over the past number of years, they've become a key pastoral couple among his people group, the Wolof. Just a small band of believers. Just a few scattered churches, but Malik and his wife, Feluin, have been a key pastoral couple in teaching and preaching. It was our privilege to serve alongside them in that uh, evangelical church in uh, that city of St. Louis in northern Senegal. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Every day over the airwaves of some 20 to 30 uh, FM uh, stations there in that nation of Senegal is, is broadcast a, a series of uh, uh, messages uh, in the Wolof language, uh, about 15 minutes long, and it's uh, known as the Way of Righteousness. These radio broadcasts that go out each day throughout that nation of Senegal, and, and, and they start with the uh, creation and through the Old Testament all the way up uh, in, in the New Testament talking about Jesus Christ. If you go get in a taxi cab when that broadcast comes on the taxi man he's got it on his radio if you go to the local marketplace the open-air market and all the shopkeepers uh, are listening to that broadcast if it's on you see the voice of that radio broadcast is Malik Malik was born into a uh, noble family among the Wolof as Paul was a Hebrew of the Hebrews he was a Wolof of the Wolofs see they know with his uh, enunciation and accent that it's not someone who's learned their language who's preaching, but this is a true Wolof who is talking about Jesus Christ and proclaiming that way of salvation. And they're listening. How can this be? That a Wolof is a follower of Jesus Christ. Now with technology, every week, Malik receives dozens of text messages from listeners from Wolof listeners who are asking to know more about Jesus Christ. And some of them have been coming to faith in that nation of Senegal. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Waymakers. You and I are called to be waymakers. God's the call is little. It's like he said, now, Doug, I want you to be a waymaker for me. Go prepare the way of the Lord. There, there's going to be obstacles. There's going to be rugged places that... Uh, as it says in that, that uh, uh, passage. Um, but we need to recognize that throughout history, God is building his kingdom. God is building his kingdom. He's using his people <laughs> to prepare the way and to become waymakers with him. Now, what's it mean to be a waymaker? Um, I mentioned our daughter, Rachel, and, and Matt. They're in, in Jordan. Um, and uh, as many of you know, uh, with the conflict in Syria, the civil war there, and all that's happening, literally hundreds of thousands of people have left that nation of, of Syria, and many of them have come south across the border 
into northern uh, Jordan. And our Alliance churches there have responded. They have welcomed these refugees. They're providing uh, uh, clothes, providing uh, food, providing places to, to, to live, helping them find employment. And that's the response of our Alliance churches there in, in Jordan. And Matt and Rachel have been invited to join in that, those efforts and, and befriending uh, Syrian families and, and meeting with them and sharing with them and, and uh, over the past number of years. And uh, a couple years ago, as uh, Matt and Rachel were preparing to come back on home assignment, uh, there was one family in particular, a young Syrian family with a couple uh, kids about the same age as our granddaughters, and, and uh, this young man, uh, Iman, and his wife, uh, Ayman, uh, uh, just had a neat relationship with, with Matt and Rachel and, and their granddaughters. And, 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 but Matt and Rachel were preparing to come back to the States for home assignment, and so well, the last visit, they, the, Matt asked them, he said, what can we pray? He explained that they were going to be going back to the States, and what can we pray for you? And, and this young Syrian father uh, said, please pray that, that our, our application for, to emigrate uh, uh, to the United States will be accepted. Now, they'd been in a process for quite a number of years uh, through the United Nations and then through the State Department, and and Matt knew it would be a long shot, but he did pray <laughs> that, that their, their application would be accepted. Matt and Rachel came back to the States, and then about two months, uh, as Matt was preparing to go on a tour up in some of our churches in the Northeast, up in New England, uh, Matt receives a call from an unknown number, and, and he picks it up, and on the other end is a young fellow, this young fellow imam uh, uh, speaking in, in Arabic, uh, greeting him, and he says, we're here. And Matt says, where? We're here in a place called Massachusetts. <laughs> I have a hard time saying that name too, right? <laughs> and Matt asked what, where they were, found they'd been, had been accepted. They came to the United States. They'd been placed in an apartment complex there. And um, as, as Matt was uh, uh, talking with them, uh, he found that they, for the first month that they were here, they'd been settled in this apartment. They'd been afraid to leave, even to go to the local grocery store, because they might not find their way back to this apartment. Matt uh, found out where they were. He, he looked at his tour schedule, found that he was going to be in Alliance Church near the town where they were. And so he indeed had an opportunity to visit with this young family, to hear their hearts, to hear their story. And he was able to connect them with some families in that local Alliance Church. You see, there's a God story that's going on behind the scenes. It's not going to be reported on many times. But God is at work in this world, uh, preparing a way. And he invites you and I to be way makers as transformed people whose eyes are open to the more important God story going on behind the scenes. Second, way makers are those who see God's way in the world more than they see the obstacles. As I said, our passage talked about obstacles, <laughs> some rugged places. Sometimes we look at the obstacles of, of uh, our world around us, you know, the, the reaction could be fear. Now, fear is a good emotion, can protect us from danger, but also fear can paralyze us from doing what God wants us to do, to be waymakers for him, to speak up for him in our world. But, you know, love is a powerful emotion. As God love, God's love floods our, our hearts, we can overcome that fear. 
And so God's waymakers are those who love rather than fear. They see with God's eyes and serve with his hands in our world. One of the ways you saw through the video this morning, one of the ways we've been able to to, uh, show God's love in uh, Burkina Faso is through providing access to clean water. Maybe you noticed the young girl pulling water out of a muddy well. (laughs) Most of the folks, that's what they have available during the dry season, but providing access to clean water is a powerful uh, testimony, a powerful way to demonstrate God's love. We've been able to do that in many villages. We've partnered, our missionaries partnered with a organization known as Friends in Action. And probably uh, over the past number of years, two to 300 wells, that ministry is ongoing. Uh, as we go into many times a Muslim village and we talk with them, uh, they may not say, hey, come and share the gospel, but hey, they, have, they need clean water. And so that's opened many villages as we've shown the love of God. Well, one such village was a village of woe. And we think, oh, woe is me. <laughs> well, in that local language, it means actually peace. So think of peace town, okay? And, and so that uh, uh, local church there, a uh, uh, new church plant, uh, needed access to clean water. We were able to come in and, and drill a uh, well. And boy, just about 100 feet down, it hit a, almost like an artesian well. And it's just abundant water there as they capped it off with the pump and the local pastor, uh, Innocent, was so happy. How, how would you like to have your pastor named Innocent? You know, Pastor Innocent. <laughs> but Pastor Innocent and his uh, congregation there, so they were kind of overseeing the well and, um, and rejoicing in that. And, and, and one day, uh, Pastor received a visit from his next-door neighbor, a uh, uh, Muslim uh, chief of the Fulani people uh, that lived in that area. Uh, a guy by the name of Laji. And so he shows up uh, at Pastor Innocent's uh, door one day, and, and he says, Pastor, uh, I see that you have a well there. And he said, would my family and our people uh, have access to that, uh, that water? And I think, well, that's kind of a strange question. But see, in that culture, the Fulani people are the animal herdsmen. They're nomadic people. And so many times there are a lot of villages will, will refuse them access to water because it's not just for their families, for the people, but also for their livestock. But Pastor Innocent uh, said, no, please come. You have access to the water, you and your people. And, and uh, <clears throat> a couple months after that well was drilled and they uh, received a short-term team from uh, a church up in uh, Minnesota um, who uh, came out to uh, uh, do some work there and also to uh, visit the, the well that they had provided uh, uh, funds for. And so the local uh, church and officials decided to have a, a celebration or a ceremony, as they do. And uh, so right in the middle of this ceremony, uh, I'm uh, uh, sitting there, and, and across the courtyard comes uh, Laji, this Muslim chief, okay, uh, pulling one of the largest rams that I have ever seen. You know, it had the horns and all, you know. And he's dragging this thing uh, across the, the courtyard with the rope around his neck, and he hands me the rope, and he explains that this is a gift from their people to the folks who had provided the funds for the well. And so Dan, the team leader, you know, this guy from the States, I'm, I take the rope and hand it to him and explain to him, and as he's trying to struggling with this thing, he says, ha, wait a minute, how, how do we get this back to Minnesota? <laughs> and I said, Dan, don't worry. Tonight we're going to have mutton stew for supper. And we did. 
Well, you see, Laji was so grateful to that, to having access to clean water. How, how else could he express his, his gratitude? A couple months after that, Laji came to visit Pastor Innocent again, and he, and he said, you know about my daughter, young uh, uh, gal about 12 years old who is uh, suffering from a terminal illness. And he said, would you be willing to pray for her? Pray for her healing. They had tried everything else. They'd gone to you know, local uh, healers. They'd gone to the hospitals. Uh, and she just was wasting away. And Pastor Innocent said, I, I agree to do that. But you know, we're going to pray in Jesus' name. So over the next uh, week or so, as the elders met each day to pray with this young 12-year-old girl, each day they saw her gaining strength, starting to put on weight until she was healed completely. Probably the greater miracle was that her father, this Muslim chief, allowed her, she came to faith in Christ, allowed her to attend the services of that local Alliance Church in Peacetown. <laughs> Praise God. You see, God is at work in our world. We have the opportunity to demonstrate his love and love more than fear. Prepare the way is a command. You know, we have a choice. God does give us a choice. We can just live as way receivers, you know, taking in, right? <laughs> and that's good. But God says, I want you to be way makers. Engage your world. We can go deeper by God's grace and the working of his Holy Spirit. We can be transformed to live and to daily demonstrate and proclaim the deeper reality that matters more than anything else. There's a deeper reality. That's what I want you to see. If nothing else this morning, there's a deeper reality going on in our world. And God invites us to join him in what he is doing. We can respond, become way makers. <clears throat> Prepare the way of the Lord. You know, you may have noticed as we close here that the way of the Lord, this uh, prophecy ends with a promise, right? Prophecy ends with a promise. It says that all mankind, all people will see God's salvation. All means all. God is saying that none are unreachable. None will escape the focus of his love. Think about that this morning. None escape the focus of his love. The most forgotten people group in this world. The folks in this island of Sabu. God's not forgotten them. He sees them. He loves them. He wants them to come into fellowship and salvation through Jesus Christ. Hmm. All means all. No group of people will be left out. You know, for us, as I think back over the years of ministry, God had to give us the privilege of working there in southern Burkina among 14 different people groups, different language groups. And, and, uh, but today I can say praise God that of all those 14 different groups, there are, are groups of believers that are worshiping today. Praise God. But I think of people like Adama. Now, Adama, again, was a rough character. He was a member of the Hunter's Clan among his people group there. And he was uh, uh, with the occult powers. 
And so he is much feared by his uh, people group. Adam, I and uh, but Adam also had a need. He he needed access to clean water, and so uh, he uh, Pastor Innocent, who is by vocation, was contracted to dig the well, the hand dug well in Adam's courtyard. Same pastor, okay. And so he's there for a number of weeks as he's digging the well, and each evening he's sitting down sharing with Adam and his family about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's sharing with them about the, his miracles, about his life, about his death on the cross, his resurrection. And so Adam hears this, but he, he's, he says, well, I'm probably just as powerful as this Jesus fellow. I've done some, some unusual things. And so he didn't, didn't pay much attention. So Pastor Innocent finished up, he dug the well, a good supply of water, he goes back home. A couple months later, a team from there in, in Warren, uh, New Jersey, Alliance Church had provided funding for that well. They came out on a short-term team visit, and one of the things they wanted to do is to visit the, see the well that their church had provided funds for. And so the local pastor took them uh, to uh, visit uh, Adama and his family and to visit the well, and as they were standing around the well, uh, uh, John, the, the, the team leader, noticed this little boy about three years old who is obviously malnourished. You know, the extended stomach, you know, his hair is starting to turn uh, orange. And, and he said, what about this little guy? And he found out that it was uh, Adama's son, little Ali. Strangely enough, little Ali, you know, his mother was no longer able to, to, to breastfeed him and, and he, he had refused to eat solid food. And he was starving to death. Just refused. Just kind of unusual, right? <laughs> well, John has had this compassion. He says, well, what can we do? Maybe we could run to the local Walmart and get some, some formula. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Even if they could supply, you know, that would run out eventually. He said, well, maybe we can pray. And so he, he asked permission uh, of Adama and his wife, and they gave permission that they would pray in Jesus' name for this little guy, Ali, that he, that he would start eating. <laughs> John picked this little guy up. You saw the picture at the end of the video this morning. Picked him up, held him in his arms. With tears streaming down his cheeks, he prayed, Lord Jesus, just give this little guy an appetite for solid food. Put him back down. They went back to where they were staying. And later on, <laughs> that afternoon, here comes Ali roaring up, on, or excuse me, Adama roaring up on his, on his motorcycle. And he jumps off his motorcycle and he tells the local pastor, he says, little Ali has started eating. <laughs> He's eating, he ate a bowl of our local uh, corn porridge. And I tell you what, that is solid food. <laughs> you saw the picture there. It was a couple months after that and they wanted to show us. <laughs> it was proof. You see, God is at work. A couple of days after that, Adama comes again to see the local pastor while the team was there. And he, and he came this time with a big sack full of his uh, local charms and idols. You saw a picture of that in the video there. And he said, I don't need these any longer. I've come to believe in Jesus Christ. I want to be his follower. And Adama is a way maker. <laughs> He's fearless. He's a fearless evangelist among his people group. He's a way maker for our God. So you can choose today to live as a way maker in your world. You can ask God to 
Open your eyes to change your heart, to transform you into a person who daily lives for the reality of his way. That choice is before us this morning. To go deeper. To join our great way-making God who is on the move building his kingdom in this world. And you know, then that choice could involve turning your back on what maybe what the world's offering. What the world considers real or important or what we need to invest in. As I want to share with you that he could uh, this morning be asking you to consider his kingdom priorities. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. His kingdom priorities regarding maybe your finances. And I want to just briefly mention to you this morning that, you know, we have a great uh, system here in the Christian and Missionary Alliance of supporting those over 700 missionaries that are working throughout the world today. And I want to say personally thank you from Karen and I for supporting us in ministry over 40 years. And you know we have three daughters and families that are also working with the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Matt and Rachel and Jordan, our, our her twin sister Becky and Sean McCabe working with Thomas Services there in Dakar, Senegal. And we also have uh, Brian and Abby Lindsay who are finishing up their first term in Thailand. And if you give one dollar to the Great Commission Fund, you're helping to support them in ministry. And I want to say thank you. For 40 years, every month, we receive support from the Christian and Missionary Alliance through that Great Commission Fund. Giving of local churches like yours. And there's not one month that we lack. Thank you.